Welcome to the OT lifestyle movement. This is for the occupational therapy visionaries and the ones who see things differently. We're moving our profession forward through living and leading a truly holistic lifestyle. Hey, hey guys, welcome back to the OT lifestyle movement podcast. I'm Rhiannon Crisp, occupational therapist, personal trainer, and founder of otlifestylemovement.com. Today, we are diving deep into occupation, meaning, occupation and meaning, that's all I was going to say, with another fellow podcaster and Aussie, Brock Cook. So Brock is a lecturer at James Cook University here in Australia, and he is an experienced clinician with a background in mental health sensory integration, health promotion, and employee wellness. He rocks an epic OT podcast. If you haven't heard of it yet, go check it out. It's Occupied, where he talks all things occupational therapy. Welcome, Brock. Hi. Thanks for having me. (laughs) So awesome to have you here, Brock. I've heard so many of your conversations with other OTs, and it's epic to have you here with us today. Before we get started and diving deep into occupation and meaning, we always hit the rewind button, startup. Okay. So I'd love it if you could tell us a little bit about your story and how you came to doing the work that you're doing today. Uh, yeah. So I graduated OT 12 years ago, I think, if my math is good and it's not. Um, I pretty much worked in mental health my whole career, but I've worked in all different aspects of it. I've worked in community, I've worked in rehab, worked in inpatient, you name it, with adults anyway. I've worked pretty much anywhere you can work. Um, And I don't know, I just had a real passion for it. There wasn't a lot of other areas that I saw within OT that gave me the versatility within each day. every day is different. Even if you're working with the same clients, every day is different. Every, you know, the, the amount of things you can do with people to me seemed a lot more broad uh, in mental health than some other fields. So, and yeah, pretty much as soon as I started, I just fell in love with it and, and haven't really left until recently. Well, I say recently, about three years ago. Uh, yeah. When I moved into academia and teaching, uh, which has been a, well, initially it was a large culture shock because it's so different to uh, clinical work, but uh, yeah, loving it. That's awesome. Um, so what we're going to get into today is occupation and meaning. So I'm going to throw at you some seemingly simple questions, but they are, <laughs> they're relatively complex when we break it down. So I'd be really interested to hearing your thoughts on this. And I know this is your jam. I know this is what you love. So Let's talk about occupation. Okay. How would you describe OT? What is occupational therapy? Simple yet complex, right? <laughs> and that's the thing, like occupation, and I'm sure most of us have realized that occupation is one of those topics that's really simple on paper, but the more you delve into it, the deeper you find that rabbit hole goes. So it is actually extremely complex and extremely unique. Um, how I explain occupational therapy, uh, I, I, this is uh, one of my soapboxes, uh, as I'm sure you may have seen a few times. I, there's a lot of arguments against what we call a profession. I 
am a strong advocate that it's named exactly where it should be because occupation is our unique offering to health. Um, there's a lot of arguments, but a lot of the arguments are that people don't understand what occupation is. So in explaining what occupational therapy is, that's usually where I start is, well, what is occupation? How can I explain occupation to someone who doesn't know the OT context? Uh, so I'll usually start by saying something to the effect of, well, when we look at occupation, we're looking at the things that occupy your time. Uh, and depending on you know what it is that you're having trouble with, what are, what is what are you now depending on whether it's illness disability accident whatever's stopping them even choice um, what is it that you're now not able to do what are you, what did you used to occupy your time with that you're not able to do what need was that that particular occupation filling for you that is now not being filled um, so and that's starting to get into that deep rabbit hole but uh yeah it's i i prefer to explain occupation to people uh looking at it as the things that occupy their time as opposed to i know a lot of definitions of occupation tend to be uh giving practice examples which i'm fairly strongly against because it just creates confusion for people if they're getting a different definition from every OT they meet and then they wonder why no one knows what we do. So yeah, that's, that's the, the abridged version of my soapbox rant. <laughs> I love that. And that is exactly how I describe it. And I've been describing it for years actually. And it was actually mm. a speech pathologist who explained it to me like this and I'd never heard that's of amazing. it. Amazing. <laughs> so she must've heard it from an OT in the grapevine, but, occupation is anything that occupies your time. And this is exactly how I explain it too, because without people understanding the meaning of occupation, it's very hard for them to grasp what occupational therapists do because immediately they do think of occupation as work. Um, yeah. And our scope is so much bigger than that, uh, as you know. So I tend to say occupation is anything that occupies your time. So as an OT, I help everyday people re-engage in their occupations or uh, pursue meaningful occupations. And this has a direct influence on your health and well-being. So yeah. really linking it back to that, I think, yeah, I love that. So I'm so glad we're on the same wavelength here. <laughs> That, that makes us go much smoother. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you think it is that we have such a difficult time describing occupation? Um, oh, this is a big question. Uh, I know. There's... It's simple yet complex. I told you. I've got all these good ones lined up for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, there's a, a quite a number of reasons, all arguable, obviously. Um, my opinion is... For starters, we it, I don't think there's too many OTs that would disagree that we have a lack of a cohesive professional identity. And I think that that comes from our inability to, similar to what I was saying before, have a consistent message about what we are and who we are and what we do and that kind of thing. Um, I feel like a lot of that is because deep down, and this is probably annoy a few people ot isn't a medical model profession but we're working majority of us in some kind of medical model system so we're trying to be the square peg in a round hole 
And for a lot of people, the easiest way to do that is to cut off the edges to fit in the round hole. What happens then is we lose our uniqueness. And when you've got some people doing that, you've got some people that just butting their heads against the, the peg, trying to get it in. Then you got some people that are completely ignoring the square hole and doing something over here. It really doesn't contribute well to that sort of unified identity of the profession. Um, and I feel like even on placement, I think most people should have experienced, you know, at least two or three different places. And even amongst those places, they would have been working on different models in different systems. Like it, it's confusing trying to work out where we fit. And it, the biggest issue I feel is we are trying to fit into this medical model at the detriment of losing our uniqueness, which is occupation. Occupation is what we bring to the table that is unique among any other health professional. I've asked this question at conferences. I've asked it to students and I get answers like, oh, client-centered practice and holistic practice. And I'm like, we are not the only profession that does that, but we are the only profession that looks at occupation, looks at people through an occupational lens, uses occupation as a therapy. Like that is our jam. And I think coming back to the definition that I gave before being able to explain to people what OT is using occupation also helps cement that for us as in like, yeah, this is what I do. And this is what makes me different to your physios and your speeches and your doctors and nurses and whoever else. Mm, I love that. I love that. And that resonates so deeply with me. So I know a lot of OTs will be thinking right now, okay, so if I am working in the medical model or if I am looking at this area, how do I stand out as an OT? How can I bring occupation back into it? The age old question. Uh, and there's a lot of people doing a lot of work on this at the moment. Um, I've personally, from a personal experience, I've run projects for my own work where I've, tried to bring occupation more to the forefront in my practice. I think the thing to realize is we don't have to fit in. Um, you don't have to conform to that medical model stuff. There's quite a number of steps you can do to make sure that you are continuing to use your occupation based practice. The very, I feel the easiest which is amazing because one of the most powerful is also the easiest things to do is change the language that you're using. So even in your case conferences, when you're talking to other staff members, other disciplines, use your occupational language. Like you, the thing that you'll find is you don't have to dumb it down. You don't have to change your language. Other professions get it. I've had doctors after a while that will talk to me in occupational language and talk about meaningful occupation and engagement and that kind of stuff. And like when that first started happening, I was floored. I was like, that's ridiculous. How did you know this? And it was literally just me using my own profession's language and, you know, being proud of it uh, in the case conferences. And they picked it up. Like we were saying at the start, like OTs really simple yet really complex. People get it if you explain it right, people understand. So I'd say using your language would be the, the number one step and also staying in contact, like having a, 
I guess, a supportive community of practice, whether that's online or you, if your local district has, you know, OT meetings, like stay in contact and immerse yourself in OT uh, as much as you can. It'll help you keep that focus on occupation. Always be looking for how you can use occupation rather than some other modality. There's mm-hmm. always going to be a way. You can operate within that system without conforming to that system. Ah, absolutely. And I think our inability to use our language to describe OT and explain what it is Hmm. has really made it the most misunderstood profession in the world. It would be close. (laughs) So my next question then is what language should we be using to describe OT or occupation or in our case conferences? What sort of words, what are the buzzwords, what are keywords that we should be using? I think as much as uh, the, the stuff that most people will have heard, you know, probably drilled into them throughout their degree, but you know, some people probably haven't used them since. So you're looking at things like occupational justice, you're looking at occupational deprivation, um, occupational disruption and understanding the difference between those two. Uh, you're looking at engagement, occupational performance, um your peo so when we're looking through an occupational lens what are we looking at when we're looking at person what are we looking at when we're looking at environment what are we looking at when we're looking at occupation understanding what an occupation is like the different factors that uh take into account what makes an occupation so the fact that it has to be um you have to be actively involved it has to have meaning it has to have purpose it has to be contextually uh, situated and it's a uniquely human trait um it's almost like going back to the basics. So it's that occupation 101. It's the stuff that I'm now teaching our first years. Uh, that real basic, this is what occupation is. And if you're able to identify it, that's step one for starters. If you can look at someone, not necessarily just look at them, figure of speech, but like during the course of interviewing them, et cetera, and identify what their occupations are, take an occupational history, you're halfway there to being able to work out what their occupational needs are and once you've done that your treatment plan pretty much writes itself from an occupation based practice point of view so it all comes down to those real basic fundamentals of what is occupation how what does it look like and how do i identify it with people the language pretty much exactly everything i've just said just then is the kind of language that i would use in a case conference so, you know, talking about like this person used to engage in this occupation, they've got this disability or this accident or this injury or whatever it is has happened. They're now unable to uh, engage due to these PEO factors. And here's what I'm going to do to either modify the environment or they don't want to do this occupation anymore. So we're going to explore that occupation was filling this need. So we're going to explore other occupations that could potentially fill that need. It seems i don't know maybe because i've been talking about it for so long it seems so basic uh i've done quite a few different podcasts on those different aspects that i just mentioned there um but it's once you get your head around it and really start putting it into practice it's amazing even just for yourself how you you you, like i had this light bulb moment of this is so powerful Like this is more powerful than any other, you know, I can do other courses, sensory courses and all this other stuff, CBT, DBT, whatever it is, I can do that. 
but they're still nothing as powerful as what I'm offering straight out of the box as an OT. And once you have that realization, that's a, that's a, a career changing moment. It's a mm. career changing point in time and a time you will never forget if yes. you go through it. And it's really, we have to jump in that time capsule again, go back to first year uni and remember everything yeah. that we learned back then and integrate yeah. it. And when we do this, you know, we're also becoming a better advocate for our profession, aren't we? Well, yeah, because we're, you know, we're getting that little step closer to that sort of uniform identity. Um, we're making, from a personal point of view, we're making better links with the profession because like even like this podcast, for example, like we've met through social media, through podcasting, through that kind of stuff. Like you make connections with other OTs and you learn from every OT that you make contact with. Um, some good, some bad, but you're still going to learn something. Yeah, it's the same with normal life. But yeah, being able to, I guess some hard things is like kind of put yourself out there to do that. It is about the the theory as much as it is about the connection. And you're essentially, to use OT terms, you're putting meaning and purpose behind what you're actually doing. But the meaning and purpose is very much through an OT lens, which, you know, that's what OT is. It's using occupation through an OT lens. It's as simple a definition for us. I probably wouldn't use that definition for general public, but for us, that's about as simple as breakdown you'll ever hear on what OT is. Okay. Seeing as though you brought up meaning, let's dive into it. <laughs> let's okay. go there. Our next simple yet complex <laughs> <laughs> thing we need to break down because this is a big one, right? First of all, what is meaning? What is it? Wow. Uh... That is the most complex question. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I have a, a definite definition just straight off the bat of what it is. Um, I think meaning is the, it, it's, this is a good question. It is. I, I would say that meaning is the, not measurable, but the visible um, accumulation of a person's values, of their purpose, of their intent. So it's the stuff that we actually can assess, that we can see, um, we can discuss with them, we can ask about, that gives us insight into their values, into their motivation. Um, it's kind of that thing just behind their behaviors as well. So yeah, I don't, I just don't, I'm sure there is some, someone screaming that right now, there'll be some textbook definition out there. <laughs> no, I think like, you've summed it up really is. well. And how do we as OTs then find out what is meaningful to others? How do we find this out? This actually isn't as hard a question as the last one. We ask. We talk to the person, you get to know the person. It, I, the thing that amazes me with some OTs is they make interviewing and discussing things with people super complex when it's really not. Like 
it's the same process you would go through uh, granted probably with slightly different language, more professional language, but it's the same process you go through if you wanted to find anything out from your mates. Um, you know, if I want to find out what it is about, uh, say they're playing a particular sport. So what am I going to want to know? I'm going to want to know, well, why did they start it? How long have they been doing it? What do they get out of it? Um, why do they keep going every Saturday? Why do they go to training three times a week? What is it about that particular occupation? I want to find out as much about it as possible. And then once you do it, you don't then just assume like, okay, so they're doing it for this reason. This must be the meaning. No, then you can ask them. Be like, it sounds like you're doing it because of X, Y, Z. Does that sound right? Oh, yeah, I guess so. But probably more like this. So you just integrate it into the discussion. Um, and I, I think that's one thing that a lot of OTs struggle with is that communication. Um, I, I feel like, and it's not necessarily the OTs themselves. Sometimes it is the system and how it's designed. And, you know, we're working in a world where you don't have long with a lot of clients. It depends what you're funded for, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so you need to be quite good at building rapport, getting information really, really quickly if you're working in one of those situations. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a matter of almost the same process you go through with your mates, getting to know the person, getting to know what they value, getting to know, I mean, there's, there's a myriad of assessments you can do to kind of shortcut that. There's like values assessments and that kind of thing. They are good, but in my experience, I've always found that if I don't have to use it and I don't have that really short time deadline, that just sitting down and talking, well, not even sitting down, you can do stuff with them. You can go for a walk or whatever it is with the people that you're working with, but just talking with them and getting to know them and exploring their occupations with them is so much more powerful and you'll get so much more extra information that can be useful for other things as well while you're doing it. Mm, I love that. So it sounds like developing a really good rapport with them. So you can talk about this. And then yeah. also making sure that there's no assumptions or judgments on your point of view, like you're asking the questions and really finding out from them what is meaningful to them without imposing your own belief systems and views on what might be which meaningful. Is, which is really hard. Yeah, um, no bullshit. It's a difficult thing to do and it takes a lot of practice to be able to do that. And even now I find myself that sometimes I still can't do it on the fly and it'll be something that I'll pick up after the fact on reflection like oh maybe I was kind of interpreting that because of xyz experience that I've had um, but one of the with regards to finding that information out one of the sort of as basic a process as I can come up with that I teach my students if you're doing an interview I am exploring a particular occupation. I'll explore like what their current occupations are. I'll work back, find an occupational history. Then through that occupational history, what I'm looking for is the changes in occupation. So, you know, from this age to this age, you were doing this, but then you stopped. Like the reasons why someone stopped something and started something else can give you a really good insight into what their, what value, or sorry, what need that particular occupation might be filling. So it might be a social need, it might be a family need, it might be a creative need, but the reasons why they stopped and changed to something else will give you that insight. Once you've done that, and this conversation could take an hour, it could take months, like it's not a, a 
cut and shut thing. But once you've got that occupational needs, potential occupational needs, then you can have those discussions with them. And, you know, do you think it sounds like you do these things to fill this kind of need? So if I was to take that away from you, do you think you'd feel like, oh, like I'm not getting enough creativity, I'm feeling really stifled, that kind of thing? Uh, or they may already be doing that if they're if you're already working with them because they're injured or something. But then that gives you a really good baseline. Like, okay, so you know, they were dancing for a creative need, not for a fitness need. So if I'm gonna suggest another occupation that we might be able to do even in the short term to fill that need it's got to be filling a creative need. Cause if I just said, well, you know, you could go and do, you know, at the gym lifting or something at the gym to fill that fitness need, that's not going to fill the need that, you know, dancing was giving that person. So I guess it's kind of, it's again, really complex and I'm trying to make, make it as simple as possible, but getting to that level of depth of understanding and knowledge about why a person is doing their occupations is super important for us to actually even be able to deliver decent occupation-based healthcare. Mm. And what I do sometimes with my clients is just use the simple Likert scale. Just say, okay, so from on a scale of zero to 10, how important is this activity to you? So you can yep. have a look at the different occupations and really find out how important it is to their life right now. Um, mm, so I find that super valuable. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I use different cards, strength cards and interest cards and all sorts of stuff for the very similar thing. Like, here, yeah, have a look at all of these, grab the ones that appeal to you in any way, and then we'll have a discussion. It's, it's all of those tools to me are just almost like conversation starters. You can't, you're never going to be able to get away from being able to hold a conversation with someone. If you can't do that, it sounds harsh, but you might be in the wrong profession. But all of those tools are just things that we use enable, to enable us to have better or have deeper or richer conversations with people. Mm. Still have to have the conversation. Mm -hmm. It's a tricky one, right? Because occupation is so rich in itself because it's subjectively experienced. And it is from their point of view. It is from their belief systems. It's from their value systems. And coming in and trying to understand that as an outside person who doesn't know them except for face value yeah. can be quite the challenge. Um, so it is really important to go through all those steps and different things that you mentioned. I think that's, yeah, it, it, it is. It's, it's, it's equally as important to have a look at your own as well and realize what your biases are. Like, you know, it, if you don't know that, then there's a good chance you could be interpreting these results using your own, you know, thoughts, ideas, experiences, as opposed to genuinely getting to know the person. Um, and it's not, you know, it's not a malicious thing. It's not deliberate. It's just that you are ignorantly unaware of your own experience, your own values, your own occupations, even. It's, so that's equally as important as anything is being so self-aware that you are able to try and pick up when it's impacting the work you're doing with your clients. Yeah. I was just going to say it's human though, right? It's human nature. Like yeah. we all have a set yeah. of experiences. We've all got things in our backgrounds and in our life that shape who we are. Like that's every one of us. That's our clients. That's us. So it is, it is that challenge that we have to be up for to see things yeah. through their lens. Uh, that's a whole nother, a whole nother conversation. Yeah. That's a different <laughs> rabbit hole. 
All right, let's shift gears a little bit because I want to talk to you lastly about why you focus on the person, not the diagnosis, because I know this is something that... Um, it's another one of my soapboxes. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> let, let's crack it open. Um, I, so, so far this podcast, the whole, everything that we've talked about with regards to language, everything that we've talked about with regards to values, everything we've talked about with regards to meaning, all has zero to do with the diagnosis. Um, what I or how I kind of came to this conclusion working in mental health is like I could work with three people in the one day, they all have the same diagnosis and they are so completely different. And what I do with them is so completely different. And I found myself getting, this is sort of earlier in my career. I found myself getting to the point where I'm like, well, everything I did today didn't require, you know, knowing that the person has bipolar or knowing that the person has schizophrenia because I was working with them and I was working with their occupations. There's no occupations listed in a DSM. There's no occupations listed in an ICD-10. Um, this is kind of at the core of where I was saying earlier that we don't fit into that medical model. And diagnosis is very much a medical model thing. Um, I've seen one reference uh, to an occupational diagnosis, which was a theory of essentially just um, writing out an occupational problem. Uh, but it wasn't, a, I guess, a true diagnosis in the sense that we're usually familiar with them. But like, I can go into talk. I, I have worked with people where I haven't known what the diagnosis is. Either that or I've thought, you know, the, the uh, referral has said one thing and I haven't known about all these other things, I can still work with that person. I could work with, I could go up to Joe Blow in the street and as long as I'm starting a conversation, using my OT process, even if you look at the actual theories in the OT process, there's no diagnosis in them. We don't diagnose. The diagnostic stuff is for doctors and funding and medications and their funding and that kind of stuff. We don't need it necessarily to do our job okay granted there and this happens every time i bring this up people are like oh yeah but there's sometimes risks or things that you can look out for i'm like yeah that's cool but if you don't see like okay someone with schizophrenia they might be talking to themselves i'm like if you don't see that when you're visiting or talking to the person anyway there's something a lot more wrong and it's probably wrong with you if you don't pick that up without knowing oh wait no the person has schizophrenia if anything going in there knowing that the person has schizophrenia i have this preconceived idea about what that presents like and what the symptoms are and i'm actively whether i'm conscious of it or not i'm actively looking for those things it's like a confirmation bias that person, or are they talking to themselves? Are they talking to voices? What are they looking around the room for? Like I'm actively looking for something to confirm what I've already been told about this person. And that's, they have schizophrenia. That's not helpful. <laughs> it doesn't serve any purpose for the person or for your care. So yeah, I, I'm a strong advocate for not, I'm not saying completely ignore it because it does serve a purpose when you're talking in like case conferences and, you're able to give information because quite often doctors are looking for their diet because they need the diagnostic stuff. That's their jam, but they're looking for information from you that'll help support their, you know, diagnosing of the person, that kind of thing. 
I'm not completely against us knowing it and that kind of thing, but I'm against us using it as, uh, I guess, a, a KPI for what we're actually going to do with people because it's got nothing to do with occupation. Brock, OMG, I think you nailed it. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and certainly there are times when we need to know a diagnosis. However, mm. when we find out about a diagnosis, often we place clients into this box and we tend to focus too much on the diagnosis. We have this tendency to only take interventions that are specific to that condition um, in a way of helping them rather than looking at the whole picture and actually what is meaningful to them. And we fall short of helping the person re reach their full potential. Um, yep. So I, like, for example, I work with kids on the autism spectrum. I am very much like you. You know what? I don't care too much about the diagnosis. However, in this population, sometimes it's very meaningful to the client to have a diagnosis mm. because it's part of their identity. Uh, but that's a whole other topic. But for me, as a therapist, I'm working with the family and their goals. And I could have two children standing in front of me with exactly the same diagnosis and they are polar opposites. They are so different in so many ways that, you know, the intervention is going to be totally different. So we can't have this blanket autism approach because it will not work on every single child with autism. We need yeah. to be looking individually at the person and at the whole person. So I am totally with you there. Yeah. And that's like, I think about it because I'm also a powerlifting coach and I'm like, if, People come to me and go, I'm a powerlifter. And I go, okay, cool. Yeah, I know how to coach that. Oh, here's a powerlifting program. Like, that's not going to work for everyone. Like, I need to know how they respond to things, how they recover, what volumes of weight they're able to actually tolerate. Like, there's a lot of individual, every program I write for people is different because, you know, same thing. Like, everyone presents differently. And I was just thinking before, too, with your autism example, like, I've never worked in that area. So I am already aware of my preconceived, like if you say, oh, this person has autism, I have a preconceived idea of what that's going to look like. And just due to talking to OTs, I'm like, oh yeah, sensory issues. They're going to need some sensory interventions. And that could be complete bullshit. They might be completely fine sensory wise and they just want help, you know, getting a job even as much as we try and avoid that as an example of OT. But it, it could be, that's my preconceived idea about something I can put my hand up and say, I know nothing about. Mm -hmm. And the same thing happens all day, every day. And like you said, it's human. That's how we learn. We build on the schemas that we already have in our brains. We attach new knowledge to knowledge we already have, but we need to be aware of how we learn and that that's how it works so that it doesn't actually become a problem as opposed to, you know, something that's quite powerful for us. Mm. Awesome. Thank you so much for talking about that because I think that will bring a lot of clarity to people who are listening in as to why it's important to look beyond the diagnosis. I hope so. Awesome. Well, it's time to wrap it up. So let's head to the three rapid fire questions. Okay. Are you ready? Probably. Uh, maybe. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> All right. A little bit uh, scared. <laughs> Nothing to be scared about here. All right. Number one, in one sentence, how do you describe OT? 
Uh, OT is the profession that works with people on the things that occupy their time and how they can maintain that or get back into it post injury, illness, sickness, choice, etc. Awesome. Number two, what's one healthy lifestyle habit listeners can implement today? Go outside. I don't even care what you do. Just go outside and stand in the sun for five minutes. Um, you'll, that's one thing I learned a little while ago is just doing that as a simple thing daily. Cause I, especially when I moved from my clinical job into teaching, it's very much, much, much more sedentary and always inside and always like this sitting at a computer and doing stuff, just going outside and just getting that little hit of vitamin D, uh, made so like exponential difference to my mood, to my, how I was feeling, to my productivity, um yeah just go outside yes oh my gosh i know our listeners will love that and even take your shoes off like how often are we just yeah. staying all day inside like we wake up put our shoes on go to work come home and we're inside and our feet are just not touching the earth so get outside get in the sunshine the fresh air and take those shoes off <sighs> number three if you could only offer one piece of advice to ot's what would it be I would say no matter what it is, what you're doing, what you're thinking, always ask why. Um, and the reason I say that is because it probably is the broadest piece of information I could give and it will have the most impact. But if you're doing an intervention and you don't know why, there's a good chance that you shouldn't be doing it. If you're getting referrals for something and you're not really sure about them, you should probably ask why, because there's probably a systemic thing that you need to look at about why am I getting referrals for this? If you're looking at, you know, should I do this course or should I learn this particular skill? Ask why, like, what is it? What value is it going to add? Not necessarily just to you, but what value is it going to add to the people you work with? Um, I, I find we're living in a world at the moment with very low critical thinking, um, so ask why it doesn't even matter what it is. Even if you think you already know the answer, ask why anyway, and just reaffirm it to yourself. You might come up with something that you didn't even realize was there. Why is probably one of the most powerful questions you can ask for that self-awareness as well. So yeah, I'd say always ask why it doesn't matter what it is. That's awesome. And I'm glad you explained it because I was going to ask why. <laughs> Yeah, and that would have been it. Taking the advice <laughs> straight away. Awesome. So, Brock, how can everyone find you? What's the best way to connect? Uh, probably the best way to find me. I am pretty much everywhere on socials, but the best way to find me is through the podcast, occupiedpodcast.com, uh, all, all the socials, everything's on there. So, yeah, that's probably the, the one point of contact. Awesome. And it's all occupied, Instagram, Facebook. Yeah, Occupied Podcast on Instagram, Occupied Podcast on Facebook, Occupied Podcast on LinkedIn, if you're really on LinkedIn. Um, yeah, everywhere. Awesome. Cheers. Thanks so much, Brock. Thank you. Pleasure. We really Thanks appreciate it. Me. Awesome. <laughs> That's it, guys. I hope this episode resonated with you. But more importantly, I hope that it inspires you to take action. If you haven't already, come over and join our Facebook group family where we connect and collaborate. You can find us really easy just by searching the OT Lifestyle Movement in Facebook. If you did love this episode, I'd be super grateful if you shared it. 
You can take a screenshot right now and share it on Instagram or on Facebook so we can connect with more amazing, like-minded, open-minded OTs. The more we share the OT lifestyle movement, the more we can create a ripple effect. And if you do love the podcast, please head over to iTunes and give us a five-star review so we can be found more easily. That's it. Go out, create the epic change that you seek in the world because the world is ready for you. Carpe diem, guys.